here we are. Isn't Ashley just too much fun when she does this? I love that we are starting our mornings off like this. I think it's just really, I love to have fun. So it's all, and it's all about me, right? So, okay. So this morning, um, we're going to start with a little survey. And you're just going to have to raise your hand. This is just an informal, if you, the answer to the question is yes, raise your hand. Okay? So here we go. How many of you are likely to watch a Hallmark movie? There's no shame here. Okay. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Okay. So are we a bunch of girls or what? Okay, so you're gonna miss the next question. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes, you can hear me. Okay, the next question is, how many of you will still go to the theater to see a good chick flick? Okay, like how to lose a guy in 10 days. That was a fun one. Okay, or how many of you will choose a book or a movie just because it's a classic and it's got that element of, you know, two people finding each other, falling in love. It's just, it's just a lovely story. Okay. All right. So now with that in mind, let me say this. We are drawn into that feeling of really wanting real unconditional love from another person. And one of the reasons that we are so drawn into that is because we live in a culture that really promotes romantic love. It's emphasized, it's glorified all the way around. And so there is a theme within the book of Ruth of these two individuals meeting each other. And it's really easy now that we are at the end of chapter two and we're starting to go into the latter chapters of this book to think, oh, there's this pretty young girl and there's this older, wiser guy. And wouldn't it be nice if there was just a spark in this relationship and they found each other and they fall in love and at the same time, God's plan goes forward. Isn't that just the most pretty of pictures. But here's the reality. At this moment in time, they're going to meet. They're going to have an encounter like Ashley described to us last week when she started us off in the second chapter. But what we're going to see mostly throughout the book of Ruth, and this is really important because we don't want to minimize it into romantic love, quite frankly. We're going to see a whole different kind of love. And this love has the characteristics that originate and come directly from God. This is the love that we really long for, even though we often substitute this kind of love instead. This is the kind of love that is all about loving kindness and grace and love that is extended to me, to you, not because we did anything to earn it, but just because somebody is willing to say, I care for you. 
So the bigger theme of this kind of love is wrapped up in one word. So when you walk out of here this morning, I want you, this word will now be in your vocabulary. This word is hesed. And this is the word that is used um, three times specifically in the book of Ruth, but it is also an underlying concept in a lot of the actions that we will study from the characters in the remaining um, chapters of Ruth. But it is also the primary thing that God is showing as he directs the lives of these characters. So very quickly what we're going to do is we're going to just have a little story catch up of where we are this week. So here's the deal. Ruth is gleaning in Boaz's fields. And the word gleaning basically means she's picking up the leftovers. It's not like she's getting all the good stuff. She's working a lot harder than the harvesters are because she's just getting what is still fallen on the ground and remaining. And break time comes, and Boaz invites her to eat with him. He gives her more food than she can possibly eat so that she will have leftovers to take home. And at the same time, he tells his men not to keep her only on the outside edges of the field, but to let her glean behind them and to actually pull out a stock every so often and just drop it on the ground so that she can get a stock that is still full of barley grain heads. He tells her to stay close to the men so that she'll get more And knowing that he has told the men to leave her alone, Ruth has to feel safer in this environment. So she stays and she works all day until evening. Now, she probably started shortly after dawn. She would have awakened when the sun came up. She would have been out in Boaz's field very early in the morning. So Ruth has probably been out in this field working at least 10 or 12 hours. Now, when she goes home that day, she goes home with what we are told is an ephah of grain. And we have no concept of an ephah. It is not a measurement that anyone um, used except in ancient times. It is essentially a basketful. And the basket would have been a bit, about as big as what we think of as a bushel basket. So if you can picture in your mind what a bushel basket of apples looks like, she would have had that much grain, not all of the sheath like this, but just the grain heads because she had beat them out into her basket. So think for a moment about a basket that is full of this from bottom to top. This basket is heavy. This is not an easy load. And it's possible that Ruth was carrying it literally in a basket, or she may have been carrying it the way this woman right here is carrying it. It may have been more like a sack, something that she could pull over her shoulder. Or if she was carrying the basket, she probably was carrying it on her shoulder or her head. Because carrying it like this, we all know what it's like to have something heavy in your arms in front of you, and that doesn't work very well for a distance. And she's got to be at least a mile or more from home. When she gets home and Naomi sees this quantity, she can hardly believe it. 
She is expecting Ruth to come home with much, much less than what she comes home with. And then when she learns that the field that Ruth has been gathering in belongs to Boaz, Naomi is overjoyed to an extent that we, don't, we can't really get it because it means so much to Naomi to know that Ruth has somehow landed in Boaz's field because Naomi immediately knows that this is a relative in their family and she understands the significance of him as someone who can deliver and rescue her and Ruth. He is, in fact, a redeemer for them. So Naomi now becomes much more encouraging, and she says, do exactly what he told you to do. Don't go to anybody else's fields. Go only to his fields. Keep going back there over and over again through the barley harvest and then the wheat harvest, and stay there as well because you know that he will keep you safe. And we're going to talk in just a few minutes about why that was so important. Now, note this. In this chapter, in these verses that we read for this week, months have passed. You know, sometimes we read a short little segment like that and we think, oh, this all happened like boom. But in reality, months and months have gone by for both of these harvests to occur. During that time, people would have begun forming an opinion of Ruth. They would be getting to know her better. They would know a little more about her character. And it tells us at the end of chapter 2, I think it noted this for you in your questions this week, what are her living arrangements still? She's still living with her mother-in-law. And we don't know exactly what that means. Are they living with another family member? Are they in some kind of very small basic accommodation, because what that phrase tells us is now they've solved their food problem. Boaz has protected Ruth and given them the food they need, but overall their circumstances have not changed. They don't have to worry about how they're going to eat, but they are still otherwise in poverty. All right, so with that as our backdrop, now let's talk about the word hesed and what it means, and how we see it. It is mentioned three times in the book of Ruth. In 1.8, when Ruth makes this commitment and says, don't ask me to leave you or forsake you. I'm going to stay with you. That was Hesed. It is mentioned again in 2.20, and then again in 3.10. And even where it is not precisely a word in the original Hebrew, The theme of it is all over. The way it is defined is hesed is acts of devotion and loving kindness that go beyond any requirement that somebody might feel they have. Like if if you feel an obligation to someone, you might meet the very basics of what that means to care for them. But this is a type of love that just exceeds that in all categories. It is tenderness, compassion, consideration towards others. And through God's Hesed love, what happens is we receive complete love that comes to us through the act of Jesus who died on the cross for us. All through scripture, we are told that we are loved by God, 
that he desires to be in relationship with us. And that has absolutely nothing to do with anything that we have done ourselves, because quite frankly, we are all completely undeserving of that love. But we are told over and over that God wants to be in relationship with us, and he offers that love to us um, just because of who he is. Now, let's talk about how we see this in the story. We first see it in the first chapter when Ruth makes this commitment to stay. In chapter 2, we see it through her character because she's the one who gets up early in the morning knowing their need for food, and she decides, I'm going to go solve this problem. So she takes the initiative. She goes out into the field. But I want you to, to be sure um, that each of us understands the implication of what Ruth was doing right here. Ruth is a foreigner, <clears throat> and basically she's a peasant. And she is immediately recognized as such by anyone who interacts with her because her physical appearance would be different than a Jewish girl. She's probably dressed differently. Her clothes are not exactly the same. Certainly as soon as she begins to speak, it is evident from her voice and accent, the way she forms her words, that she is not a local. And what women feared in ancient times in these settings was that because they were poor and they were having to follow along behind the workers in the field, it was very likely that those women were going to be harassed, probably physically abused by workers who felt like, well, she's just a little peasant foreigner. You know, she'll get what she deserves, right? This kind of thinking. So it was dangerous for Ruth to do what she was doing. It was not just simply, well, I'm going to go walk along the edge of the field and get a little food today. She was walking into a scenario where she would have known and Naomi would have known bad things could happen today. So Ruth, first of all, is the recipient of great hesed when Boaz first enters the picture. Because what Boaz does is he's heard the word on the streets, so to speak. He knows and understands her circumstances, and he determines that he isn't going to just do the minimum by speaking a blessing over her, giving her a little bit of grain, but that he is, in fact, going to be the blessing the salvation, the rescue in her life and Naomi's life. He is, he is clearly a man of character, and he is motivated from the heart to do good things for Ruth and for Naomi. At this point, he treats her like a member of his own family, even though Ruth has no idea who Boaz is. And at this point, Boaz would feel no particular connection to Ruth. In verse 10 of the second chapter, you may remember from last week, she falls on her face in front of him in gratitude. And that response is one of her being so overwhelmed by what he has done because she knows as well as anybody that he didn't have to give her this place where she can find all this food. He didn't have to invite her to eat with him. 
he didn't have to tell her she could go and get a drink of water whenever she needed it. And he certainly did not have to tell her that he would provide protection from his men. It's not normal behavior from Boaz. She expects to be treated like the foreigner that she is. She expects him to react to her social status because that was the pattern of the day. And quite frankly, Ruth's social status is very low. Low, low, low. So in verse 14, when Boaz says, come and eat with me, it is highly significant that not only does he make that invitation, but then he is the one who personally serves the grain to her. This is sending a message to everybody sitting around that table. She thinks, of course, this is unbelievable. This is too good to be true. But I can assure you that the other tongues around the table are wagging at that moment, and they're wagging again when they get home that day because nobody can believe that Boaz is extending this grace and this provision to a woman like Ruth. Now, Boaz has been described in verse 1 of this chapter as a worthy man. And that word worthy means character, that he has strength, he has position, and in this case, wealth. The same word, interestingly, is used to describe Gideon in the book of Judges. Now, Gideon, as God chose him, God chose him to be a warrior, to lead only 300 men against thousands And if you remember that story, you may remember that when Gideon leads those 300 men into battle, the only thing they take with them is torches and trumpets and um, jars. And they win the battle simply by blowing the trumpets and crashing the jars together so that there is so much noise that the enemy gets confused, they kill each other, and the Israelites win the day. But but, um, Gideon is described in this same word as worthy because he was brave. He was a warrior. He went into battle for the people. Boaz, on the other hand, is not a military man. But what this tells us when this word is used of him is that he is strong. He is noble. He is good. He is worthy of emulation. And when he shows Hesed, here's how he does it. First of all, in the basic parameters of life for the Jews, God had given them a command in both Deuteronomy and Leviticus, when you're harvesting and you know that poor people are going to come along behind you and need some food, don't take it all. If you forget a bundle out in the field, leave it. Along the edges of your field, don't harvest. Don't pick up what you drop. Leave it for the poor. Leave it for the widows, the orphans, the foreigners. But you know what, ladies? Here's the reality. Greedy landowners did not do that. Even though that was God's command and his instruction to them, they wanted it all. Because the more they harvested, the more money they made, And the more money they made, the more comfortably they lived. So poo on the foreigners 
the widows and the orphans was basically the attitude. So Boaz's behavior is so, so different. And it is very likely when Boaz encounters Ruth and invites her to eat with him that she has already been harassed and offended by his workers. We don't know exactly what happened, but that is implied within the language here. And it's very likely that when he first sees her, she is getting ready to leave the field because that has happened. And it is his invitation that causes her to stay and to continue harvesting until later that evening. So his favor to her is abundant. It is way more than she deserves. She leaves with extra from her meal, which she will take home, and it will become Naomi's meal. And Naomi has probably not eaten all day long because they have nothing. He is generous in abundance the same way that Jesus is generous in abundance to us. I want you to think about that that little um, dish of leftovers that Ruth has, um, she's packaged it up somehow, and she knows she's taking it home to Naomi, and it's all prepared, so it's all ready to go. And as she takes that home, think about Jesus on the day that he fed the 5,000, which was really more like 15 or 20,000 with women and children, and at the end of all those baskets being passed around with the loaves and the fishes in them, what's left over? Twelve baskets. And how many disciples were there traveling with Jesus? Twelve. Everyone was provided for. Boaz begins at this moment in time to be something very, very important in Scripture. He begins to be a kinsman redeemer. That is a really significant concept in the book of Ruth. He is the one who will come into this little family. He will rescue and he will save them. Think of the woman at the well in Samaria who Jesus met. And when he meets her, she is very much just like Ruth. She is an outcast, first of all, because she's a Samaritan, but she's also an outcast because of her lifestyle. She has no idea who Jesus is when she begins talking to him, just like Ruth had no idea who Boaz was. But what does Jesus do for her before he's finished interacting with her that day? He fills her abundantly. He is not just an adequate savior. But he is a savior who extends more grace than she could imagine or exhaust. Similarly, he extends that same kind of grace to us. And then there's Naomi. Naomi's been waiting at home all day. She is the bitter, disappointed one, as Ashley described for us last week so well. And she has sent Ruth out to glean while she waits at home. She's hungry, but you have to know that Naomi is also worried all day long because she knows what might be happening to Ruth out in those fields. So when Ruth comes home and Naomi sees this bounty, Naomi is overwhelmed. She can't believe what she's seeing. And the woman who has been blaming God for everything 
is now turning around. The woman who had been saying, God is responsible for my loss, my bitterness, my pain, is now seeing his hand at work, and she is blessing the man who has allowed Ruth to glean in his field that day. Thomas Watson, who was a Puritan minister during the Civil War, said this, God's grace dissolves and liquefies the soul, causing a spiritual thaw. This is what's happening to Naomi. She is entering into a spiritual thaw. The kindness of grace, the kindness and grace of God that has been shown through Boaz is now clear to Naomi because she knows the connection. And she becomes, amazingly, don't miss this, she becomes a giver of Hesed herself. We see it in Ruth, we see it in Boaz, and now we see it in Naomi. Because she knew what Ruth was walking into that morning. She knows how Boaz protected her. She knows that he has eliminated their major worry of their food supply. And as all this occurs and as we see this thaw begin to occur in Naomi, what we know is that the real hero in this story is not Boaz, it is God himself. Because as Boaz provides protection and food, he little realizes at this moment that God will use him to be the true protector and provider for this little family. He also has no idea of the lineage that will follow him down to the Messiah. But God's love for all three of these characters, for Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, God's hesed shows in his sovereignty that is on display in every event that we've read into this story. So now let's wrap this up with what do we personally do with Hesed? First of all, we receive it. And we should receive it with anxiousness, with joy, with gratitude, because God, and this is the God of the universe, is in hot pursuit of your heart. He is in hot pursuit of my heart. He is the great seeker of our affection and devotion. He is not put off by your sin, by my backsliding, none of those things. He is not set out to just judge you and me. He is working on us, providing for us. And in his sovereignty, he gives us all that we need. He calls each one of us to daily make the choice to turn to him. What does he really want to do? He wants to start and continue a spiritual thaw in each of our lives that never, ever freezes up again. And the same God who made provisions in the Old Testament for the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners is the same God who made provision for you and for me by sending his son, Jesus Christ. He gave his only son to make that happen. Now, second, we receive hesed from those that he puts in our lives who love us, 
who encourage us, who lead us. When in your life, now think very practically about this for a moment. When in your life have you received more than you needed? More than you needed. Not more than you wanted, but more than you needed. I would argue that you receive that every single day. I would say the same thing for myself. So God gives us, because of his nature of provision, all that we need. And then he also gives us others in our lives who approach us at just the right moments in time with the help that we need. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's just a word of encouragement. It comes in all shapes and forms, but it comes from someone who is expecting nothing in return. It is hesed. It is the pure love that is modeled by God. In 2014 and 15, Jeff and I were dealing with the after effects of a fire because of a lightning strike at our house. And we were without a place to live. We were every day working in soot and destruction and sogginess from all the water that had come down. And uh, we did this for days on end. But I have to tell you something. I don't know of another moment in our lives when we received more hesed, both from God our Father and from those around us. And we could certainly say it came from those around us because it originated with God. And he led them to do unbelievable things for us. Within moments, good friends took us in and housed us and received us nightly in this sweaty, sooty, really yucko condition with a warm meal on the table and a good bed to sleep in. Another friend of ours who is a successful realtor here in Charlotte, made it her task to find us a rental home. And she had found it within days, and we had moved into it within weeks. A local furniture dealer gave us some amazing discounts on items that we needed after he heard our story. Gift cards poured into us from friends and acquaintances to just help feed us while we were in this huge mess. And a restoration crew worked to save the structure of our house and the goods that could be salvaged. And we ended up learning that about half of that crew were believers and we stood in our kitchen and prayed with them on more than one occasion. That was the Hesed love of God. But that's only one example. And we need to be sure that we're paying attention so that we don't miss examples of hesed love in our lives, no matter how small they might be. Okay, finally, we demonstrate hesed to others. Naomi is perhaps the one that we need to relate to the most in this story on this topic, because Naomi has shown us, when you're in the face of disappointment and a trial, how difficult it is to show Hesed. Think about a moment when you feel bitter or you feel sorry for yourself. Something hasn't gone the way you anticipated it going. 
there is a choice to be made every time that happens. There's a choice to be made to replace the bitterness with hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, to replace it with faith, not in others around us, but in the Lord Jesus who does not fail, who knows what we need, who promises to be beside us in struggles and to give us the perseverance and the strength we may lack. The opposite of bitterness, notice this, ladies, is not happiness. The opposite of bitterness is true contentment and joy in the Lord. It is hope in Christ. Now, one final thought here. We get goofed up on this. And we get goofed up on this because here are the thoughts that go through our minds. Well, God should work on my timetable. And surely he, he can accept a little instruction and be advised by me on exactly how things should go in my life because I know a lot about this, right? Well, think the next time you have those thoughts that you are actually saying those words, maybe not verbally, but in your brain, you are saying those words to the God of the universe. And remember that he is the sovereign one who knows exactly how to order events for your own good. It is so easy to think that we have what we have because we've accomplished it. I earned this job. My husband has a great job. That's why we have this house. That's why we have these cars, this food. We go on these vacations. That's why we have wonderful children. Rarely do we stop and think that the only reason we have those things is because of the Hesed love of God who sustains us every day. So Hebrews 12, 15, as just practical advice here, tells us, look after each other so that not one of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out so that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. We show Hesed love to each other when we encourage each other to keep our eyes focused up on the Lord Jesus Christ. So finally, let's leave with this thought. Your greatest need, my greatest need, is not a romantic love like the one we saw up on the screen at the beginning because that will ultimately disappoint. Our greatest need is not holding on to something that we thought we deserved but never got nor is our greatest need fulfilled when we hang on to how we've been mistreated and we nurse that, thinking we're a victim. Here's what your greatest need is, my greatest need. Are you ready? It's one word. It's hesed. It is the hesed love of God. It is the tenderness, compassion, and loving kindness of the Savior. And that thought takes us back to our overriding theme this fall, which is God alone is the purposeful author and hero of our story. He defines our identity and invites us into lives of influence, and our lives of influence are expressions of hesed. Let's pray before you go. Father, we, um, we bless you and praise your name this morning. 
Father, um, this concept of hesed is bigger, greater, more magnificent than anything that we can ask or imagine. And so, Lord, I just pray today that this will sink into our hearts and our minds, that we will know that we are your daughters, that you love us, that you have forgiven us, that Jesus has covered all of our inadequacies, and that we walk in his righteousness today, Lord. Bless these words that have been given, Lord. I pray that only your truth has been spoken here this morning and that it will carry us um, daily as your spirit reminds us. And we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.